0: Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. All right. So I mentioned earlier, um, it seems like a lot of us are going through a season right now of, of there's, there's just some tough stuff going on. You know, we've in the last 18 months we've seen a number of people die. Um, there's been um, relationship issues. There's just been just wah. You know, and it just seems like every time you turn a corner, you're getting hit with something. And um, this week, I was uh, just happened to be reading some of Chris Valatin's stuff, and and he he released something the other day that I thought, man, this this really fits in with the season we seem to be at here at House of Hope. And it's, it's, a, it's a time that I believe that we're actually going through struggles, and it's almost like an attack. But I'm not, you know me, I'm never one to go point at Satan and go, oh, the devil is attacking me. Uh, I'm not of that, per, like, persuasion. It's like if I feel I'm being attacked, I'm just like, stop, because I know my authority. But at the same time, I think there is a spiritual battle going on that is actually pushing us closer to a breakthrough than we realize. Because when, um, and I've said this before, in any war, the greatest number of casualties is the week before the ceasefire. The week before the, um, you know, when the war is ending, they've already signed the uh, the treaty or, or or the signing of the treaty, and it's that week to ten days period of time where the when the fighting is the worst, when when each side is giving it their all because they want to take as much um, uh, land, they want to they want to they want to get as much for their country as they possibly can before they know that their pieces pieces at hand. And, and this is not a, sorry, what was that? I didn't say anything funny there. That's hilarious. Um, You guys are good today. Um, So what was I saying? Um, Thank you. Taking ground. I I was past that already. Anyway, I've lost it. Um, Yeah, I was on a roll. I was, it was, something was really good too. Um shoot. You know, you get into a groove and I got into a groove really really quick today. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, that my no my record blew off the turntable. Um so uh, sorry, thanks, just let me thanks. I appreciate it. Shut up. <laughs> um, um, okay, so greatest uh the greatest casualties, so right, thank you, Jesus, okay um, i don 't necessarily believe that we are coming to the end of the age or anything like you know this is not a the battle it's it's whatever is going on within us as a house of hope family, I believe we're coming to the end of a season that is has been a hard one. And and there's lots. Like I mean, if, you know, every person in this room this morning has a story of struggle in this last season, right? And it's and it's like, wow. So God, what are you doing? So I want to look at 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19 this morning. I'm not going to read it. They're they're a long Chapters. That's what I love about the Old Testament is that their chapters can run sometimes 60 verses or more. But I'm just going to highlight. I'm going to read some of it, some of it, and then I have some thoughts on where we're going and what we're doing. So I, 1 Kings chapter 18. It's the story of Elijah, Elisha, um, Elijah, sorry. And Elijah goes and he presents himself to the king, King Ahab. And basically Elijah says, um, you know, due to the fact that you are uh, evil, I'm declaring uh, a drought over this land. And so as soon as he declares this, then Ahab gets a little bit um, upset with him. And the, 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 the country goes into a time of drought. There's no rain. And... Um, and then uh, Elijah, in verse um, twenty, starts off there. He starts to confront the prophets of Baal, and there's eight hundred and fifty these prophets. And we know the story. You know, that they they come together and um, they set up an altar and um, they set up a sacrifice and um, all the you know the prophets. They're doing their thing. The prophet, the false prophets of Baal. They're they're. They're, they're doing their thing, and, and Elijah, he taunts them, and nothing happens. And, and Elijah steps up, and he says, okay, now it's my turn. And the prophets are like, yeah, you're, not gonna, you're one man, we're many. You're, you're not going to do anything. And he goes, you know, tell you what, um, let's make things interesting. There's going to be a sacrifice today, and God's going to show up, but let's make it really, really interesting. And so I want you to dig a trench around the, 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 the altar. I want you to dig a trench. And so they dig a trench. He says, now I want you to pour buckets and buckets of water over the altar into it so the water actually fills up the the trench. So there's a moat around this altar. He says, uh, so they do all these things. And it says in verse 31, And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes, the sons of Jacob, who the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around them, around the altar, big enough to hold two sayas of seed. I think that was a lot. And then he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and he laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four water water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he says, Do now do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He says, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran um, all around the altar, and he filled the trench with water. So not only did they drench the, the, the sacrifice, then they, they, they filled up the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then verse 38 says, then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering, all of the wood, all of the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elisha says to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And so they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. So, here's a great picture. If you like Blood and Guts, this is a great movie. This would be an amazing movie. Because Elijah, he did the deed, right? He was like, I, I was reading that. and I was like, oh, could you imagine? You know, like not only being in a place where the Lord's speaking to you, but you have the, the, the savvy to say, okay, this is what you're going to do. We're going to make it even harder because he knew the Lord was going to show up. And then it was under his hand that those, pro- those false prophets died. Man, to be living in the old covenant again. No, I, I don't think so, but that would be kind of fun. I don't think I would have been a mighty man. I probably would have ended up being a baker or something. But, but they needed them. That's right. So this is one of the, probably the highlights of Elijah's life. It was one of these pinnacle moments in his, in his career, you would say. He spoke to kings. He, he, he basically, he, um, he set in, in motion in the course of nations of that of that nation he spoke life he spoke direction and he gave uh, and he and execution he executed some of the judgments that the lord had brought and so it was the pinnacle of his life and you'd think at the pinnacle of his career as a prophet in his in the pinnacle of his of his walkings with the lord that you know what's next and then it's interesting to see that in the next chapter um, he goes into a period of depression. All of a sudden, what, something attacked him. All of a sudden, he's gone from the pinnacle to living in a cave down by the river. No, <laughs> there was no river because was, there was still a drought. But he, he, he heard that, that the king and the queen... We're going to kill him, and it says, it says, um, in, in the beginning of 19, it says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword, and these were Jezebel's prophets. Excuse me. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, "So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life." if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. So she's like, I'm going to die if you're not dead by tomorrow at this time. And he's like, oh, she's got power. She's going to kill me. And all of a sudden, these irrational fears show up, and all these things start to happen in Elijah's life, and he takes himself out of the game. He sidesteps his destiny. He sidesteps his calling. He sidesteps everything that the Lord had done, and he... Took himself out of the game for a period of time. I think one one of the demonic forces that we are coming into contact with in this time, in the period, in, the, in this house of hope, in our house of hope family, is that we are actually being assaulted by a spirit of Jezebel. Now, all you ladies in here. Who have been accused of having a spirit of Jezebel? I'm sorry, that's wrong. Spirit of Jezebel is not someone who is a strong woman who has opinions and who leads. It's not the spirit of Jezebel. How many of us have been in situations where you, we've been in this and the leadership of going spirit of Jezebel get out? I mean that that is horse poo poo, El Toro poo poo. It's not true. The spirit of Jezebel is something else. Ephesians 6 says what? We struggle. Ephesians 6.12. We should know this one. We struggle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, the spirit of Jezebel, the Jezebel spirit is not a person. It doesn't come down and rest on a man or a woman like it did. Like Jezebel was a woman. She was a queen who was probably possessed and we've taken that in, in Christianity, we've taken that into, charis, into mostly into charismatic circles, as that if you are, especially women, if you are a strong woman who who leads well and who's a strong force in their family, as women should be, then actually, oh, you've got a Jezebel spirit and we're just going to not entertain that and you need to go. Well, that, that will never happen in House of Hope. And it shouldn't ever happen in any, any church that caused themselves a believing church. Fortunately, it does. I'm not going to go there. So the, the Jezebel spirit is an issue of spirits. It's not flesh and blood. And I'm going to highlight, I'm going to just kind of make, just going to, we're just going to tear this down a little bit. When I say that we're being assaulted by a spirit of Jezebel, there's four things that happen um, when, when this happens. And I, and I can see this in, my, in our life, in the life of, of many others, in, in our struggle because we're actually being assailed into something. The the, the the enemy doesn't want to attack us unless we're actually doing something good. See, all of us were designed to be derailed. Because we've all been called and chosen and have a destiny to do something amazing in the kingdom to bring Jesus's light, to bring the kingdom to earth. We all have that calling and that destiny. So when we get actually under into an attack, into a, a, a season where things are not going right, then we wonder, I guess, I, I guess I'm doing something wrong because I'm being attacked. No, you're actually doing something right, but you're being derailed. Because the spirit of Jezebel will come in and will do four things. The first one is an irrational fear and insecurity will come upon you. Look at Elijah. All of a sudden, he's like, dig another ditch, pour on some more water. Let's, let's make this happy. Let's make this exciting. Yes, and the Lord came, poof, it's gone. And he's like, yay, yeah, God. And he goes from that to hearing a word from Jezebel going, I'm going to kill you. And your irrational fear and insecurity entered him. And he's like, I believe you. You're powerful. I'm going to go. And then I'm going to go kill myself. Suicide is like another spirit. They're all evil. I hate putting names to these spirits. But... The way that God has created human beings to be is that we have this sense of self-preservation that takes, that takes precedent in any situation. I remember when I was much younger and I was leaving, uh, it was my last day at YWAM. I was, I was getting ready to, I believe, um, to move here. And uh, I was at the YWAM base in Turner Valley, and behind the base in Turner Valley, there's this, um, these cliffs it's a big hill, really, but the Sheep River runs through it, and there's this big face of rock and stuff, and we had always climbed up the back, you know, and gone on hikes and stuff, and I, 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 was, I was, I'm was, i like, I want to climb that today. It's my last day. I'm going to go climb that, so I walked along the base of the river, and then I looked up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can climb that, and so, and I'm about halfway up, and and footholds and, and stuff, are, are lacking. And I look around, and I'm like, remember they tell you never to look down? Um, I look down, and I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? Why did I choose to do this, right? And I'm, because I was 20, and I had nothing else to do, and and so I kept going. And all of a sudden I realized that if I fall, I will probably die. It was like, you know, and it wasn't, Huge, But it was sharp and rocky, and, and so I'm literally hugging the face of this thing, and the only way to go is up, because I had to get to the top so I could actually walk down. The, the spirit of self-preservation kicked in that I thought, I, don't, I will not die. I will continue on. I am not going to give up. It's just my only example that I have but I was on there like for 45 minutes trying to get up and I was hand over hand foot over foot prying myself up moving along finding the right and finally I get to the top and I'm like Ooh, and I haul myself over onto the grass I'm breathing my adrenaline is starting to come down I go down the hill into the base worship is on I was late for the meeting um, one of my friends looks at me and he's like are you okay because apparently I was white as a sheet and and I'm like yeah I'll be fine I'm alive right I wouldn't have died but that self at no point in that experience did I think to myself oh I might as well just give up and push off never not once but how many times am I driving down the strip here in Cranbrook in the last 25 years and all of a sudden the thought comes to mind, I wonder what it would be like if I drove into oncoming traffic, <laughs> right? And it's like, where the heck did that come from? I'm not suicidal. I don't want to die. I like my life. I'm happy. What, right? It's, these, these, it's the irrational fear that comes in, in the form of a dart, of a thought. Because we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Because we're not dealing with earthly things. We're, we're dealing with demonic powers that want to take us out. Right? So that's the first thing. Irrational fear and insecurity. Second one uh, is the spirit of suicide. We just kind of covered that. Suicide is like, it's 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 just... It comes on people, and I've known many people in in my life that unfortunately many people, you know, more than I would like, that have actually given in to this spirit of suicide. And they, they they listen to that voice, and they drive into oncoming traffic. Hopelessness shows up in their life to such a degree that they can't distinguish between what is real and what is a thought. And they give in. And it's it's... And Elijah went through it. Elijah had that same, you know, um, in verse, um, verse four it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And then he prayed that he might die. And he says, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He was listening to this to this spirit of suicide to say like, no, you're done. You're not done. If you haven't had breakthrough, you're not done. And when you have breakthrough, it just means you're there to manage what God has broken through. You're there to lead it. You're there to develop it. You're there to guide it. You're there to to nurture it. When breakthrough comes, that just means that there's a whole lot more work to do and you're the one to lead and to build up and to release and to nurture for future generations. Because that's what we do. You know, we don't, we don't get to the pinnacle of, of what God has called us to do and go, wow, I broke through, that's eight, that's great. I'm going to sit back now and just let it all happen. No, that now means we work. Is, if, if as parents, if as a father, 23 years ago, we had Andrew, and as a, as a mother and a father, we, Deanne had the ultimate in breakthrough, she had a baby. And then What? We just left him. We just left him on the side of the, on the road and, and he, he showed up one day and he's like, hey guys, did you remember me? Oh yeah, you look vaguely familiar. Can we do anything? No, right? Eh? That's sometimes what we do. We think is that we go through this major breakthrough in our life and we have something, but then there's nothing. No, we, we nurture, we father, we mother, we develop, we raise up leaders. We raise up people to, to, to do whatever God has called us to do. And I believe that's one of the things that Elijah failed to do after his breakthrough was to raise up more prophets and to, and to say, now we're going to fill this land. We've, we've gotten rid of the prophets, the false prophets. Now we need to populate the people with a culture to hear the Lord and to, and to do what I've been doing. And so he didn't do that. He sat by and he said, Lord, kill me. And so the Lord had to literally send an angel to feed him, to clothe him, to, you know, to take care of him. And then the Lord said, now you're going to go along later on, um, it's about verse 17, in, in that area. And he tells him, you're going to, this is going to happen. You're going to meet Elisha. And you're going to actually raise him up to, be, to take your place. I honestly believe that the heart of the Father was for him to start like a school of prophets to, to, to populate the land. But he was taken out because he gave in to that irrational fear and insecurity. He gave in, or he didn't give in, but he listened to that spirit of suicide and it stopped him just after something great happened. So when we're on the brink of a breakthrough, we have to look at these attacks that were going on, and we have to say, God, what are you doing here? And then we have to actually break confusion, and that's the third thing that happens when we come underneath a, 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 a spirit of Jezebel, is that it's the confusion. Elijah doesn't want to live and end up in a cave, isolated and alone. When he recounts the story of what he had just happened to God, he brings up a story, that, that is many years old, about a time when everything was going wrong, yet the most recent story, 41 days prior, he didn't bring up. So the Lord, or not the Lord, but, but this spirit will actually, um, will actually cause us to look at the negative of our life, highlight that, and say, God, where are you? You've never been with me, and we forget the amazing things that God has done. And we forget about his goodness. What's that verse in Psalms 116, I think, 118? You know, don't forget his benefits. We forget not his benefits. And and when we forget his benefits, confusion will set in. And it's like you're talking to somebody who... It's like, how many of you have talked to somebody who's confused? Like literally, like they have something going on there in their brain. They're either high or they're medicated or something. And they and you talk to them, and you, they don't make sense. In their minds, they make perfect sense. I remember I was probably seven or eight years old, and I had suffered a major concussion. I was playing on the playground at school, and like I tripped. Either I was tripped or I tripped, and my head went smack into the brick wall at the side of the school, and my brain. Sh- sloshed from side to side and I was like wow I've got a headache so I went to the nurse's office and this is I do remember this getting up going to the nurse, nurse's office and saying that I have a headache and she says what happened you know hit my head you'll be fine right this is in the 70s so it means like you, you pretty much had to cut your head off before you got anything it's a surprising any of us lived but I remember going into it was a grade 2 I went to my grade 2 classroom and the room started to spin. My next memory is I'm sitting in the back of my dad's car because they had called him, and I look over and I see my sister who was probably in kindergarten at that point. And I looked at her and I said, Are you my sister? You look familiar. And probably didn't articulate it that well. But I remember saying, Are you my sister? And I remember my mom and my dad saying that I was blathering on about stuff that didn't make any sense and they were concerned. But in my mind, I was making perfect sense. Because it was just like, Right? And it's like, But that's what happens when confusion sets in. We think we're fine. We think we're making perfect sense. We think we're doing what is totally right. But people who are under the influence of this spirit, actually, they're not. They're doing things that are stupid. And you're looking at them, and you're going, Why are you doing that? And without a close family, without family that are connected, that know who you are and how you operate, and when you're at your best and when you're not, and speaking into that, that's when that's important, actually, for that to kick in. Because then if, if I'm doing something stupid, and Brian comes to me and says, dude, what's going on? What do you mean what's going on? Yeah. You know? Come to your senses, man. Oh, right? And it can be little, like, I'm, I'm talking extremes, but it can be even quieter than that. One comment can be made, and we have to have the ability to say, that's not right. What you're doing there is not right. That's not who you are. That's not, that's, think about what you just said there. If all you can remember is what has gone wrong in your life, then I would suggest to you that confusion has already set in and that you're forgetting about the benefits of what the Lord has done. And that's why it's so important for us to remember what God has done, what he has done in our lives, what eight years. We've, we've celebrated eight years of House of Hope here. And we look back and we see the amazing things that God has done in our family as we've grown, as we've ebbed, as we've flowed, as we you know God's calling and stuff like that. And if we didn't forget, if we didn't remember those things, if we forgot those things, we would be looking at the things that went wrong. And we would be confused. And because we were confused, we're walking around like, what did God call us to do? Why are we really here? I guess... I guess that was a fun run. Maybe we shouldn't be meeting together. Maybe we should just quit. Because, you know, it was a good run. It was eight years. It was good. It was okay. You know, we, we actually surpassed the national average of a young church. You know, so we did that. Yay, God. Okay, let's go somewhere else now. But when we know what God has said, when we celebrate his goodness, and we celebrate the things that he's done, and we don't focus on the negative, we don't focus on what God hasn't done, I love that what Bill says, Bill Johnson, he says, you know, I'm, I'm, one, I'm one step away from, you know, or 10 minutes away from utter disappointment, but I have to focus on what God has been doing, is done, not what he didn't do. And we do that. And I really believe that that, that alone will, will cause us not to be confused. If we can remember what he has done and what he's called us to, then it's a journey. It's a, it's a, it's a walk. It's that we're going there. We're actually going here. What is House of Hope being called to? We've been called to be a hospital. We've been called a revival center. We've been called to develop family. We've been told to take family and what family looks like and make it amazing and take it and export it to the world. Are we there yet? No. Are we getting there? Absolutely. Because we're learning by our mistakes. We're learning how we do things. We do things right, then we focus on what are we not doing. Well, let's do that, and let's do it great. Are we confused? Sometimes. But we're family, and family speaks in, and we say, okay, we're not confused anymore because we're going to write where we're going. The fourth, the fourth thing you may be under, coming under a spirit of Jezebel, is isolation. How many of us feel isolated? Elijah said to God, I alone am left. If we look at First 1 Kings 19.10, Elijah's recounting to the Lord, and he said, So he said, I have never, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars. I've killed, and killed your prophets, sorry, with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So he was confused, and he was isolated. He's like, well, there's nobody else. I'm just doing this. I'm by myself. Nobody's around me. And the Lord kind of gets a little bit grumpy with him. And he said, stand up. Follow me. What do you see? And this is that classic story where the Lord reveals his heart to Elijah. And he said, go out. Verse 11. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave suddenly the voice came to him suddenly a voice came to him and he said what are you doing here elijah and he said i have been very zealous for the lord god of hosts because the children of israel israel have forsaken your covenant so he's basically saying the same story again They've, they've, they've forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. This is after he's gone through the fire. He's gone through the earthquake and the storm, and he's heard the still small voice. And then the Lord said to him, verse 15, "'Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. "'When you arrive, anoint Hazael uh, king over Syria.' And you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nemeshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, blah, 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 You shall anoint as prophet and in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes... Um, sorry, I lost my place. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet, and this is the key, yet I have reserved... Seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed it. So, Lord's like you're not alone. You're confused. You're isolated. You're listening to that word of of Jezebel to kill yourself. You're um, you're walking in an irrational fear, and you're insecure. I want to break that off of you. And I want you to know that you're not alone. There's 7,000 people who are going to fight this battle with you and me. And it seems like after that, he, he, he got it. And that spirit of Jezebel broke. And he walked out and he continued on with his destiny of who he was. In, in, in 1 Timothy 118 it says this is from the nasb it says this command i entrust you timothy my son in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you fight the good fight keeping faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith the prophecies that we're given as people are the are the are the tool that we use to fight when it comes when we come under battles like this the prophecies that were given paul exhorted timothy to remember the words that were spoken use this as your weapon remind the enemy of this is you may be doing this to me now but this is what god has promised in the passion translation it says this timothy my son I'm entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of f- fulfillment. In this great work of ministry, in keeping with the prophecies spoken over, over you, with this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscious, conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are now destitute in the true faith. If we don't remember what God has spoken to us, we're going to get shipwrecked. And this is is a message that we continually to harp and we continually to teach here, is that where are your words? Where are the things that God has spoken in your life? What has been spoken over you? What prof- prophetic words are, have been given to you that you've forgotten? Find those words. Dig them up. And if you don't have them, then the next time you get a word, record it. Write it down. Many times, like, like ever since this has actually stuck into my heart, I, you know, someone says, I have a word for you. I said, great. I, I don't have a phone with me. I can't record it. Would you write that word down for me? And I stick it in my bag. But most often now I have my phone and I'm like, just one second. Because then I go back and I listen to them. And I have words going back probably four or five years. Prophetic words from Bethel when we're at the leader's advance. And I listen to them again and I'm going, that's true. That's happened. That's been happening. Wow, that hasn't happened yet. And, and, And when I get discouraged, I listen to these words and I'm going, that's what God has said. Because I trust them as words from the Lord. And Paul, if Paul was telling Timothy to do this, how are we exempt from doing the same thing? It's, it's, we've got to have this because they are the weapon. You know, the word of the, like the, you know, this um, the armor of God, what's the sword? In the armor of God, what's the sword? It's the word of the Lord. Is it the Bible? No. It's part of it. But it's the word of the Lord to us. It's his, it's his, because it, it's, it's, the, it's, what does it say? It's the power of God unto what? Salvation? Is it that one-time salvation gift that we receive? No, it's, it's, it saves us. The word of the Lord will save us. The prophetic words that God has given us over the years will save us from what? From this spirit of Jezebel coming in and confusing us and bringing suicide into and giving us isolation. If we're feeling any of that, then I am like, find a word from the Lord. Find one of those words that have been spoken over you, read it to yourself, declare it, read it out loud, listen to it. But then that's not even the end. Because what if you don't have any of those? Then we turn to the word of the Lord. And we go, Father, speak to me. What in this moment, I need something from you to actually to re-clarify what you have said to me. We need to re-clarify where God is going, what he's taking us, where he's taking us. And so we can look at Philippians one twenty eight. It says, Be in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation to you, and that too from God. You can take that and go, Man, you're getting opposed? That's awesome. Because God's doing something. Don't look at the opposition and think, I should stop, push through. That's the word of the Lord. Isaiah 54, 14, it says, In righteousness you will be established, for, and you will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for, and from terror, terror, for it will not come near you. Wow, terror, terror is on my back doorstep. Read that, declare that. That's the word of the Lord to you. Because he's re- he wrote that for you to grab strength from, and to say, this is what I want you to do. Joshua 1.6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. That's, word, that's a word for you. It's a word for Joshua, and if we're going to read that in context in, in you know, a, a proper hermeneutic, then that's for Joshua. But the Lord takes that rhema, the, the written word and turns it into life, and that's something that we can hang on to. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. As fathers, lead your family. As mothers, lead your family. As workers, be a workplace advocate. Rise up and do what God has called you to do in your workplace, in your, in your, in your schools. Wherever you are, these words of the Lord are, are life to us. And it's beginning to rain. So can we see, can you kind of see where I'm going here with this, is that if we are in a season of attack, the Lord has actually already promised us the victory. And the victory has actually already happened. But we've got to remember that. I heard so many times over the years, people go, well, this happened, and I can't understand why this bad thing happened. I can't understand why this horrible, horrible, horrible thing happened. How could God let that happen? I'm no longer going to follow Jesus now because of this. And people are f- fell away because they blame God for whatever happened. It's because that confusion set in, that isolation set in, potentially suicide. And that irrational fear. Because it's a tactic of the enemy to take us out by using those four, four things to, dis, to, to, to cloud our view of who the Father really is. And so if you're going through something right now, know that it is for the purpose of a breakthrough and that he is, exp- he is um, preparing you. He is, there's another word I was going to use. He's with you. He's not attacking you. He's not causing you to to have this happen to make you strong. It's not from the Lord, but He is there walking you through this. Because we have a destiny. You individually have a destiny in the kingdom, and we have a destiny as a house. We have been called to Cranbrook for a reason. We have been put in Cranbrook. We have come together as a family to do something that is greater than what we could have do on our own. That didn't, did that make sense? It was really bad English, but you kind of got it. And we have to remember what that is. Because if we don't remember, what's the point? There is no point. We just The, the enemy wins, and we just disperse and we become another statistic. I am not interested in becoming a statistic. What I am interested in and what is passionate in my heart, and it's getting more and more passionate, is to say, Father, where are we going? What are we doing? How do we get there? And we're going to do it regardless of how many people say yes. Because I know the heart of your hearts are to say yes, and we're going to do that. So So, Father, we are excited. Are we excited? We're excited. Because confusion is gone in Jesus' name. The spirit of suicide. Go in Jesus' name. Isolation, that thought I can do this on my own. Father, I pray you would replace that. That that that's a that's a orphan mentality. I say it, be adopted into the family. Irrational and ins- irrationality and insecurity be gone in Jesus' name. And we just say, as a house, we stand together and we say, "Jezebel, you have no place here. We break that spout. We break that power. We break that we speak to that right now as a family, surrounded by the love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the anointing of God. And we say we stay together as a family, you have no place in this place. So go. Holy Spirit, fill us again. Bring back that joy of our salvation and that passion that we have to bring the kingdom to Cranbrook. Amen? All right. Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of his presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.